All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome in to Season 4, Episode 9 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and I am one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy, the best brewer in town, the coolest guy I know, Thomas Bowen. How we doing, Bowen? What's up, yo, Carolina Homer? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, doing all right. Before we jump fully into the show, we want to take a moment, speaking of South Carolina, uh, South Carolina lost a wonderful Gamecock this week, a uh, former Gamecock baseball player, and for all, for all intensive pers- pur- pur- purposes, Thomas, the voice of Gamecock baseball, Tommy Moody. Uh, losing Tommy Moody was you know, a difficult thing for Gamecock community. Anybody uh, who's ever worked with Tommy uh, has always just had amazing things to say about him. Um, I, I was listening to the radio on my way into work the day after he passed and or the evening after he passed and Bill Gunter all but couldn't get his words out when trying to talk about it. Um, just everybody who's ever worked with Tommy says he's the best person that they've ever been around and the biggest Gamecock fan. So Thomas, what are your memories of, of Tommy Moody or, or what are your thoughts on that? You know, that, that did really kind of, come out of nowhere and uh, I hate to say it this way but I feel kind of like I, I took the guy for granted and he was just always that that positive gamecock I kind of like to call him papa gamecock because he always had a way of turning a negative into a positive um but one thing thinking back about Tommy Moody that uh that I will always remember and I could still hear it to this day when when I when I remember it in my brain but baseball games you know he he was the the he's the color guy for baseball but he always like most baseball broadcasts the color guy takes a few innings right there mm-hmm. around stretch time in the middle of the game and i always liked it when tommy was calling a game because if if we were at bat and we happened to get a home run the crack of the bat that ball's tagged yeah, i yeah. get chills just 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 saying that and just remembering that so uh but yeah of course Neither one of us knew Tommy personally, but by all accounts, he was just a a fantastic human being. I've literally never heard anybody say a bad word about the guy, and and I believe it. I don't think it's lip service. I mean, you just hear the way he talks and and how much he loves Gamecock athletics, how much he loves his family, uh, work family, personal family. He just uh, Gamecock Nation lost a great one this week. You're exactly right, and our thoughts and prayers are certainly with his family, both his Gamecock family and his personal family, and um, all those that knew him and worked with him, because he's, like you said, by all accounts, was a great guy. So before we continue forward, we're going to talk about the fact of what this show is. Thomas and I like to call ourselves slightly above average football fan, or excuse me, slightly above average football fans. Because we both played the game, we coached the game, we love the game, we've studied it our whole lives, we've talked about it, we've analyzed it. It's just a part of who we are, so we like to think we know a little bit more than the average fan, and we like to help people understand the game more and you know understand what's going on, why certain things happen, or how it looks. And so that's a that's a big part of what we do here. We are also South Carolina fans, if you couldn't figure out uh, by the top of the show there, uh, our our condolences and memories of Tommy Moody uh, would show that we are both alumni of the University of South Carolina and proud to be so. With all that being said, Thomas, it was not a great week to be a Gamecock fan last Saturday. Um, 
I was classic. up in classic. I was up in Spartanburg with my good friend and former football teammate Andrew Fisher. We were at the freight yard in Spartanburg. Anybody who's listening who's never been into the freight yard in Spartanburg, check it out. It's an amazing, amazing spot. I love it. It's an outdoor setup. But Thomas, are we gonna, we... are we going to send them a bill? Are we going to send them a bill for that ad read? I will. I will. I'll send them. I know the owner. I'll send it. <laughs> uh, so. Um, Thomas, before we jump fully into a Florida recap and our defense in in general, let's talk for what has kind of been the other big news of the weekend game, Cock Football. Shane Beamer said this week, I believe in his Tuesday press conference, that he broke his foot after the game by kicking something that he shouldn't have. And then Paul Feinbaum, who I think is an absolute blowhard, just doesn't deserve his own show. He's an ass. Decided to go on and on about this fact. And I don't know if it was because of that or other questions. Shane finally just said, listen, I was going off the field or I was coming to the locker room and I was angry and I kicked a Gatorade cooler, which I'm assuming he thought was empty and it wasn't. And so when it wasn't, (laughs) that hurt a lot and it broke a bone in his foot. Thomas, do you have as a fan any reaction to this? Does this bother you? Does this do anything for you? No. This uh, my initial reaction was laughter. I laughed. I uh, got a pretty good chortle out of that. Uh, but and also, let's not forget. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Jake Bentley do the exact same injury, doing the exact same thing? I mean, it was alleged that, yes, when he hurt his foot, it was after a loss and it was in the locker room. I don't know if it was a Gatorade cooler. I always heard it was something along those lines, but yes, very similar. Yeah. And, but, but to your question, my reaction to that is, is, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm glad that we have a a coach that is that passionate and that invested in the games. Now, if this was a, if this becomes a pattern, yeah, I get a little bit worried that he's turning into a, a must champ who's got a bloody nose on the sidelines because he's headbutting the damn whiteboard right. like a psycho. <laughs> right. But this is an isolated incident. This never happened before. Uh, I'm certain that he's frustrated at uh, a lot of things, which we're certainly going to get into on this episode. But no, I, I've got no problem with it whatsoever. And I think it is a giant nothing burger that people like Paul Feinbaum are making a giant big deal out of for no reason. I completely agree with you on all points. Like you said, if this becomes a, a common occurrence, let's be honest. We were no, we had a famous football coach that had probably our best stretch of South Carolina football, Steve Spurrier. He was known on the sideline for throwing his headset or throwing his visor when he was mad. So, I mean, this isn't a huge deal. It's passion. It's competition. Like, what do you want him to do? Oh, gee, and walk in and be like, oh, you know, can't believe that happened. You know, Dowell Loggins, offensive coordinator, said it best yesterday at his presser. It was gut-wrenching. That's a gut-wrenching loss. You're up with, what, five minutes left in the game, and and you can't finish it off. Ten points. Ten points. With five minutes left in the game, you can't finish it off. That's hard to swallow, and we're going to get to that in just a second. So typically what we do on the show is I'll break down the offense, Thomas breaks down the defense of the previous week's game, and then we talk about the upcoming opponent. We're going to get to the offense, but if you are a Gamecock fan of any level, you know that the defense is what's the hot topic right now because of that blown lead at the end. Thomas, our DBs were getting burned a lot on Saturday. Those guys need some ice. Can you help them out on where they could get a good deal on some ice? 
Oh, you are absolutely right. Not only am I going to tell you, you where to get the best deal on ice, I'm going to hook you up and hook our listeners up with some free ice. You know what's better than some high-quality frozen H2O? Some free high-quality frozen H2O. Folks, if you're still buying your ice from the gas station or grocery store, you're doing it wrong. You're overpaying and getting shafted worse than South Carolina is on Clayton White's contract. hi ho. There it is. We're going to keep coming. Go find yourself a twice the ice machine where you can get a 16 pound bag or 20 pounds directly in your cooler for only $2.50. They've got locations all over the Midlands, including Chapin, West Columbia, Irmo, even East over out by Mr. Bunkies. And we've got an even better deal for our listeners. When you're at the machine, text the word average to the phone number on the machine and prepare yourself for a free bag of the best ice in town. Head over to tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice for participating locations. Free ice is a good thing, right, Andrew? Yes, right? it is a good thing. Everybody it wants. is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's talk about some bad things like South Carolina's defense. That's what we're going to talk about, right? Uh, Yep, yep, that's what we're going to talk about. So, as as you and I were discussing this show, and we kind of had some had some programming discussions here, we kind of laid out the the format here. The first thing I want to talk about is because everybody is 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 bitching about the defense, and rightfully so. You mentioned it earlier, five minutes to go in the game, you're up ten points. Statistically, analytically, anything you want to look at, you should win that football game, right? You yes. should win that game. You should be able to protect that lead. Good football teams do, yes. Absolutely. I mean, even middling to mediocre football teams should be able to do that. So the question is, how bad is it? How bad is it right now at South Carolina? So when we were preparing for this show, uh, I looked at the numbers. I, I'm a stats guy. I'm a slave to the stats. I, I like, like to see numbers. I, I like to see concrete things. So keep in mind here, this is Clayton White's third season in South Carolina. Shane Beamer brought him in in the beginning. From uh, Western Kentucky, I believe he had been there. That's a correct. Of years Western Kentucky. After, yep. After some stops before that, did some good things there. Um, uh, sidebar: South Carolina seems to have a um, a penchant for going after those mid majors guys. What what uh, directional Kentucky school was Darren Horn from? Was it Western? Also Western Kentucky. Yes. Also Western. Okay. Kentucky. Okay. Should have learned on that on the first time go around with getting a hilltopper. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So so let's look at how bad it is. Currently, right now, looking at the numbers, currently in 2023, this season, I'm going to throw out some numbers for you. I'm going to give you NCAA, that's that's all of college football, and then SEC mm-hmm. rank. 14 teams in the SEC, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's teams. correct. For that's now. correct. Yes. For now, yeah. Total, total defense, 121st in the country, dead last in the SEC. Passing mm-hmm. defense. 130th in the country. That's dead last in the entire country and also dead last in the SEC. Rushing defense, some improvement there. 57th in the NCAA, ninth in the SEC. Finally, red zone defense, 103rd in the country and 12th, just two away from dead last in the SEC. Just based on those numbers, Andrew, like what does that make you think about this team? Like this team's got to be winless, right? I mean, yeah, if if this team had the offense it had last year, we might have one win at this point against Furman, and I think that would have been a tight one. Yeah, I, I think you're right. So when you when you see those numbers 
and you dive deeper, like what is the reason here? Is it just a bad year? Is it is it hammered by injuries? We have had some significant injuries uh, on the defensive side and the offensive side. But look at the progression here, okay? Points per game, you go back to 2021, which was Clayton White's first season here at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. This His defenses against FBS opponents in 2021 gave up 26 points a game. 2022, 30.4 points a game. 2023, this year, they're giving up 33.4 points per game. That is a, if you're looking at it on a graph, that's not the way you want it going. And no, that is that is not the way you want to go. Lastly, looking at numbers here, and I want to throw out a caveat. Uh, early, early in Beamer's tenure, tenure, and therefore Clayton White's tenure, uh, a lot of people really big on him. Hell, I was big on him. I, yeah. I liked what he did in 2021. I liked what he did for the most part in 2022. But let's not forget that his defenses in 21 and 2022 led the SEC in forced turnovers. That can mask a lot of deficiencies on defense. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100% it can. You're absolutely right. Finally, looking at these numbers, in total defense, yards per game given up, 2021, this defense gave up 374 yards per game. 22, 420 yards per game. This year in 2023, 483 yards per game. You cannot boat race everybody and outscore them. Nope, you cannot. So uh, when you when you look at that and you look at how bad it has just gone off the cliff and just continues to like Thelma and Louise like right off the edge mm-hmm. of the of the cliff there is don't forget when, when Clayton White took over as DC <clears throat> he's playing in, in that first year and some of the second year and hell some of these guys are still here now must champ recruited slash developed players. You're talking about guys like Zach Pickens, who went to the mm-hmm. NFL, Javari Ellis, JJ Enigbari, NFL, Jordan Birch, who's now at Oregon having a good career, Brad Johnson, Mo Kaba, who's still here, hampered by injuries, Cam mm-hmm. Smith, NFL, Darius Rush, NFL, RJ Roderick, Jalen Foster. And I could keep going and going and going, but it is kind of, if you think back to when, um, our good buddy Ellis Johnson stepped away from defense. Whammy Ward, Lorenzo Ward took over. Oh, Lord. And at first, at first, it was like, okay, maybe we got another DC here. But he had guys like Melvin Ingram and Jadavian Clowney who are light years ahead of all the guys that I just mm-hmm. mentioned here. But is this a Whammy Ward situation? Has Clayton White benefited from must champ players and now they're gone and he's screwed? You know, here's the thing about Will Muschamp as a head football coach. We've talked about it during his tenure. We talked about it after he left. We've talked about it uh, about defensive coaches in general. He wanted to be very conservative for the most part on offense. He didn't want to spread the ball out. He did. He wanted that defensive coach mindset is like ground and pound, you know, take six minutes off the clock, get a touchdown, and then we're going to slam him in the mouth again. So the guy knew defense, and he knew how to recruit defense. He's still proving that at Georgia right now. But so I say all that to say some of these players are pretty darn good. You know, like you just mentioned, a whole lot of dudes in the NFL. And, you know, at my time in, in my or excuse me, in Muschamp's time here at South Carolina, one of my complaints on the defense was things were too complex. And, you know, because yep. he was too almost too smart for his own good. And like 
that was the issue there. But the guy could evaluate talent. And, you know, there's some guys that are built to be coordinators. There's some guys that are built to be position coaches. And there's some guys who are built to be head coaches. You mentioned Ellis Johnson, probably one of the best college football defensive coordinators, at least in the Southeast region, in the last, what, 20, 30 years? But Absolutely. He, he never had a lot of success as a head coach. So there's just some guys who are great at that. I should say all that to say, you know, you brought up Whammy Ward. He's a pretty good position coach. Pretty good, you know, recruiter, but he got the reins of the of the sled, so to speak, and drove it off a cliff. And so you have to wonder what's happened here with Clayton White. And he even mentioned in his presser adjustments being made sometimes and how that works out, and then adjustments not being made. Thomas, speaking of adjustments, what can be done at this point? Yeah, yeah, it, it's great because you. <clears throat> As you mentioned, so obviously something has to change. South Carolina is staring down the barrel of of not being eligible for a bowl. And I mean, that is the lowest of the low. Like that that is your floor. You've got to have six wins here. So four, four wins to go. What can you do? Clayton White obviously did jack squat with the bye week as far as adjustments or anything like that. So what changes can be made this season from a schematic or personnel standpoint? It, it's when you're you're halfway through the season, it's it, it's really tough, maybe impossible to do wholesale scheme changes at this point in the season. So what can you do? You have to maximize your personnel. One of the things that I saw in the Florida game, and God forbid anybody has to go back and watch that because you don't want to uh-huh. watch what that was, but down the stretch there. Ricky Persall, and we talked about him mm-hmm. last week and how he was a really good receiver, and we had to dedicate some guys to him. Florida consistently motioned Persall to get Nick Emanwari in man coverage on Persall. Now, we talked about the Tennessee game, I think was the first game this season that we saw Nick in the nickel position and i kind of liked it after the tennessee game because he's bigger he's down there for run support he can he can handle the big body receivers but now i don't like it get rid of it because he's not a good cover guy whenever they would constantly motion persol to to get nicky and man coverage on there he burned him all night now there was there was one one of those late touchdowns he gave up he should have had help on the back end but Nick shouldn't be in that position to start with. I, I like him. I like him on the field. Obviously, he's a fantastic uh, defensive player, and I really like him for edge setting, and I like him for run support. But and, and I'm not going to put all of this on him. They're, on that last touchdown, if, if anybody does have the stones to go back and watch it, it was just bad technique on Nick. Mm-hmm. But he should have had help. He should have had safety help on the back end. I think it was DQ Smith who was at safety on the back end mm-hmm. yep. who was – inexplicably was shading to the single wide receiver side instead of the three wide receiver side where Nick was. Had he been shading to that three wide receiver side, because am I right? You want to shade to the strength of the offense over there. Typically, you want yes. To shade, you want to, yeah. So had he had that help on the back end, maybe everything would have been fine. And we were talking about how we squeaked one out here, but it's just, uh, I don't know. And, and I want to know what your thoughts are on Nick and how they're using him. And I realize mm-hmm. we don't have a whole hell of a lot of depth behind him as mm-hmm. cover guys, but mm-hmm. I feel like he's, he's playing out of position. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, 
if you look at the safety position versus the true corner position and particularly the nickel position, safeties are safeties because they don't have tremendous man-to-man coverage skills. There's a reason Charles Woodson, one of the best corners to ever play in the NFL, moved to safety at the end of his career. He had gotten older. His coverage skills had deteriorated, but he could still play football, so they put him at safety. He could still run and cover ground. He could play safety. Same with Rod Woodson from the Steelers. No relation there, but they did the same situation. Got moved. Nick is a safety, not just because of his size, because he can cover a lot of ground, diagnose things quickly, and he's a very, very good tackler in space but he's not a great coverage guy. He's not a great coverage guy. And and you can't put him in that position. And I mentioned this later in the show notes, but I might as well bring it up. Now, here's my problem with our scheme, Thomas. We run this 4-2-5, in my opinion, as it is almost a true nickel situation. It is a true nickel situation. And that's not how you can play this. The idea of getting more DBs out there, that fifth DB needs to be a hybrid type player. Think South Carolina Hall of Famer Rashawn Faison. During his time, good old number 11 for Charlie Strong's 335, Faison was a hybrid. Darren Stewart, another great game cock that played a hybrid role. It's hard to find those guys. And Nick, I agree with you 100%. Either put him at safety and let him play safety. Don't bring him down in the slot. You don't bring a safety over the slot. I'm just going to tell you as an offensive coach, if I'm if you got Nick E a safety over my slot, we're throwing him the ball a lot. And if you don't, that's what offensive coaching what we call keep running it till they fix it and then you go, "Oh crap, they ain't fixed it yet." They're not going to fix it. That was an exposure. That's a scheme issue. That is a coaching issue. You put a very good football player in a position that he's not going to be extremely successful in. You don't ask Spencer Rattler to run the the speed option. You just don't. It's not his skill set. So that's a coaching issue. That's a coaching and schematic issue that I have a major, major issue with. And every defense, Thomas, all offseason, what these coaches do other than recruit, they look at tape. They're trying to diagnose what, where's the weak spots. Someone, multiple teams, have found this weak spot and this lack of adjustment and are exposing it. And it has happened over and over again. And it's going to keep happening over again if we don't make some changes. Yeah. And that's what concerns me the most because the, uh, I kind of feel like starting with the Tennessee game, Tennessee kind of put out a blueprint on shutting down Xavier Leggett. And then last week against Florida, You looked at it from a from a defensive standpoint, like you said, getting neat Nick E and just picking on him all all game. But the staff seems pretty adamant about having Nick Jalen Kilgore again, really big on that freshman. And I'm okay with freshman's mm-hmm. mistakes; he's going to be fantastic. But the staff is adamant about having Nick Kilgore and DQ Smith on the field together as well. They should. I think those are some of our best back end defensive players. But you've got to pick your poison. Because if you take Nick out for another cornerback to move inside on that slot receiver, like against Persol or against uh, 
uh, Weiss or Burden or whoever Missouri's got mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. then your run defense is going to be garbage because you're taking them off the mm-hmm. field where they mm-hmm. su- provide good run support, edge, edge setting, or you leave him in there and then you get what happened last week. So mm-hmm. I, I, you got to pick your poison, but you got to make adjustments. And this is the week that, I mean, uh, Missouri has one of the best passing games in the league. They've got two wide receivers that are in the top 10 and passing in the SEC. If, if adjustments start made, it could be a long day on Saturday. Well, it's like my dad said about uh, the Florida quarterback. He said he was looking on the bottom of the screen, ESPN uh, scroller there at the end of our game, and it said something about how he had a career night. He had a career night against South Carolina. And my dad made a, a great statement. He said, I'm so tired of hearing about quarterbacks having a career night against us. And, like, this is the exposure. Here's the thing. As an offensive coach, again, we always joke in the in the as we're preparing – well, if they'll line up exactly like we think they're going to, we got a heck of a game plan for them. Well, Clayton White <laughs> is lining up exactly like they thought he was going to for a long time. And, I, you know, here's the thing. Eric Kimry came on our show last week. Great, great guy, great coach, smart football guy. And he said something about offensive play calling that is just as true about defensive play calling. It's an art form. If you blitz... You better know you're getting home because you're exposed on the back end. If you drop into four deep coverage, you better know you can tackle in space because if you can't, they're going to get the ball short and just, you know, burn you. So it's a, you know, we talk all the time about the the world famous savant of, of Joe Lee Dunn. You know, we used to joke, they used to always joke about him not even wearing shoes. He was, you know, but he knew when to call it. He knew when to call what he needed to call. It, it's It's not Madden. It's not EA Sports. You know, you just don't call fire blitz and, hey, let's see what happens. Like, this has got to improve. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And and you asked me a, a good question earlier about how do I feel that the, the defensive backs have regressed this season. And I do. I do yeah. think that they have regressed. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know if it's if it's – talent regression so much as it is as you mentioned play calling and putting them in the best position to succeed coaches always talk about the you've got to put your players in in the best position to to win their battles to succeed and i don't think that clayton white i don't think that clayton white is uh i don't think that clayton white is getting the most out of his guys so yeah i think they have I think they have regressed. I don't know where you are on that. Granted, they have lost a lot of talent on that back end, but I don't know. I think they've regressed yeah. for sure. I, I think they've definitely regressed. I think there's some issues there. I think there's some concerns there. Um, there's been injuries and whatnot, but it's uh, it's definitely concerning. Um, you know, and as the, the season and as the time has gone by, I think about it as like a great, pitcher in baseball the old adage in baseball a lot of times is you'll find out how good a pitcher is the third and fourth time through the lineup because they've seen all your pitches well have we seen all of these the pitches that come along with this defense i I don't know um but it it certainly seems like there's we're running out of ideas things aren't going the way we want them to go and it's just not ideal right this minute um 
All right, so let's move into uh, let's move into our next topic here, Thomas. If Clayton White was no longer our defensive coordinator, who are your your candidates? Who do you want to see? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question, and uh, I had to look a little a little deep on this because. I'll be honest, I don't keep up with, uh, you know, the hot list of DCs in the country. But one name that jumped out to me originally was Chris Hampton, who is currently the co-DC at Oregon with Dan Lanning, who left Georgia and is doing great things out there. I'll admit, Andrew, uh, this guy played safety at South Carolina from 04 to 07, was a two-year starter. I don't really remember him. Do you? The name rings a bell. I don't remember him making, like, a huge impact. I mean, do I remember hearing, you know, seeing his name or hearing his name or seeing it on television when they give you the the starting lineup? I think so, but I don't, he doesn't necessarily stand out to me in a huge way um, as, as a football player. I know he, he is a very smart guy when he was at South Carolina, he did get his degree obviously, but he won South Carolina's Harold white award, which is given to the player on our football team with the highest grade point average (laughs) nerd. How about about that for some internet research for you? Um, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's done well for himself. Uh, uh, A little bit of kind of background on him. Uh, some some mid-major and lower-tier stops before this, but I really took off. 2020 was the DB coach at Duke. 21-22 was the Tulane DC, where he took Tulane for basically dead last in scoring total and pass defense to pretty much a top 50 defense in all major categories. Um, obviously knows South Carolina, knows the South, and recruiting. Uh, again, this is a guy that has – he has been – a DC, but you know, there's going to be, let, let's say the job did come open and let's say this, this is who Beamer went after. And I'm certain he's not, he's going to go after some Jimmy string beans guy that we've never heard of before, but it, it, uh, I I think you could do a lot worse. I'll say that. I agree with you. And well, one thing that might sort of work in our favor is, you know, there's a lot of rumblings in uh, Tuscaloosa and around college football that Nick Saban, might want to leave and retire at the end of this year. Oh, are we going to hire him as our DC? Yeah, that's what we're going to. That's where I was going for. We're going with it. Um, No, but what I have seen is that um, Dan Lanning, although he just got to Oregon, is listed as you know what could be Bama's number one target. So that you know he goes to Bama. I don't think Chris Hampton has the the cachet and the experience to just be promoted to head coach by any means. So he could be looking for a new position. So that might be something that works in our favor with him. You know, and you just talked about a guy who took uh, Tulane from last in scoring, last in total, last in passing defense to top 50. Based on the stats you read a few minutes ago, I think that would be a good fix for us, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think especially with <clears throat> with a guy who has coached for a year under Dan Lanning, who has the the Kirby Smart and therefore the Nick Saban pedigree, and I don't know what else Dan Lanning has done, but I know he's doing great things at Oregon. Um, I think he could do a, a lot of good here. Somebody else that I think would be a little bit of a polarizing hire if this did happen, but I'm curious as your thoughts on the former Stanford DC and Vanderbilt head coach, Auburn DC, Oklahoma State DC, the one, the only Derek Mason. What do you think about that guy? 
I don't dislike that. A lot of experience, a lot of success. Here's my concern, though. You know, he's moved around a lot. And I I think he's a guy that's, you know, got he's made his money and he's probably still getting paid right now by a lot of places. Um, Would we be a stepping stone? Could we be a stepping stone with Chris Hampton? Sure, we could be. But I think there's also something to be said when you've got a guy who played at South Carolina, you know, he played at South Carolina. My, you know, coming home is something that a lot of guys like to do. I mean, look at Steve Spurrier. We brought him up earlier. He, he ended up at Florida as the head coach for a long time. He played there that, you know, he's back there now as in an ambassador role. Like, and Shane's Shane's big on that too. He likes yeah. bringing guys back home. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I, I like Hampton over Mason for that uh, reason. Now the next guy you have on the list I find very interesting. Very interesting. Zach Arnett, who is, of course, the current head coach at Mississippi State. But let's be honest, he's the head coach at Mississippi State by default. He was the D.C. at San Diego State. There's some good things there. Then Mike Leach brought him in as the D.C. linebackers coach. He also coached the safeties at Mississippi State. Mike Leach's, of course, untimely passing last year sort of elevated Arnett into the interim role, and then he just kind of rolled into the head coaching role this year. But the things aren't going great at Mississippi State. Hell, they lost to South Carolina. You know, that's I mean, correct. That's, that's not a good mark on your resume there. And by all accounts, Zach Arnett will not be retained there, and he's going to be looking for a job. I think Zach Arnett, much like Derek Mason, and much like our good buddy Will Muschamp, are fantastic defensive minds. They're not good head coaches. Now, right. Zach Arnett. What was dealt a, a shitty hand of cards? Let's be honest. No, no, it would be tough for anybody to succeed in that. He brought in a new OC. We've talked about that. It's not the personnel, yada yada. But he's a fantastic defensive coordinator. And my one concern on Arnett would be, other than his his brief stint at Mississippi State, he doesn't really have to my knowledge, those relationships in the South that you have to have for recruiting. And Shane Beamer is a big recruiting nerd. I do agree with that. Um, well, here's the thing, though. When your head coach is a heavily involved recruiter, your coordinator, and they still got to be able to recruit, but you know he can pull excuse me, some of the lion's share of the recruiting. So, you know, if Arnett had to start forming relationships, I think the guys on staff, Shane and others, can uh, can continue to build recruiting relationships and build from there. I, that's a heck of a top three. If, if I was honest with you, I'd probably go Arnett, Hampton, Mason in my dream situation. You know, if Arnett does get get canned uh you know that's not the right term to use because like you said he's in a very difficult situation doing what he's trying to do there and it could be that mississippi state says hey man we're going to give you another year we know you took over a a really you know tough situation you know um and there and then there's guys that like you mentioned that aren't on our radar you mentioned also shane seems to to like to sort of go against the grain i mean even dowell loggins who we're going to talk about his offense in just a second here wasn't somebody who everybody was like chopping at the bit when we when we got him it was seen as a wait and see can he do it what can he do type situations fans were were gnashing their teeth if you will as he was hired cuz you know you always you always have that portion of the fan base that's like i want a proven dc i want a proven oc guys if they're proven yeah. if they're proven they're not leaving where they are 
yeah. to become an OC again. Like <laughs> very rarely are you going to see a guy do that. And so but you do have to catch lightning in a bottle sometimes. You know, somebody has to take a chance and it has to work out. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. You mentioned in Clayton White's first year, year and a half, two years, he seemed like we had caught lightning in a bottle. But this is a, a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And right now we're seeing the holes and and you and I, who as slightly above average football fans would like to see, I would like to say we're somewhat reasonable, although this is our favorite football team. So we are fanatics of it. But right now the proof is not in the pudding. You know, the, the caveat the past two years on our past defense has, there's always been this one question mark because we struggled against the run. So everybody said, is South Carolina's offensive or defensive, uh, passing situations seem better because teams can just run the ball against you. So they're not throwing it as often. They're not taking risks as often. And now all of a sudden, as you pointed out, the run defense in some situations has been the stronger portion of the defense. And now they're taking to the air and we're seeing a lot of miscues. Um, You know, Eric, again, he mentioned that he feels like fixing a defensive scheme can be somewhat easier or more streamlined, I should say, than fixing an offense because you can say, okay, guys, we're going to run these two coverages and we're going to be great at it or we're going to run this one coverage. Here's the thing. Sorry, I'm fighting it a little bit here during the the weather (laughs) change. Um, Here's the thing. You got to mix up coverages. I said it a second ago. If you just line up and do exactly what the offense is prepared for, you're going to get beat. You're going to yep. get beat. Like yep. they've watched film. They've broken down your, your tendencies. If you stick to the same old, same old, you're going to get toasted. And with that in mind, Thomas, if it's all right with you, if you're, let me ask you this before we do this. But do you got any more thoughts on defense before we talk about some of the, the, the good stuff we saw on offense? No, I want to flush defense and let's talk about some good because this was some good offense this weekend. This was some good offense. Definitely our best game from a play calling standpoint and as our offensive line play. We just talked about the same old, same old. And if you keep doing it, it's going to get you beat. I love that our offensive staff said, we're not going to do that. We rolled out a full-on new five. Now, some guys who had been out there were in different positions, but they were everybody who started the game on Saturday, minus Crow and Tree, were in different spots. Yeah, And that is, you know, Tree was at left tackle. Uh, Trey Jones was at left guard. Nick was at center, which was what he played at Yale. So I I thought that was a really strange decision not to put him there. Yeah. They um, were able to do that. And they were, then they moved, they kept um, Trey at right guard. And then this is a big change. You you have Roshan Lee move from center to right tackle. And he did a very good job until he got hurt and is possibly, I believe, out this week, which is just the unfortunate. Because that means it's probably going to be Sidney Fugger or Tyshawn Watermaker out there at right tackle, and they have God had, help us. They have had their struggles out there. But I love that during a bye week, you know, if it was D'Lo, if it was Shane, if it was the o, uh, the OL coaches, somebody went into a room and said, "Okay." We can't bring the same five and the same combo that we've been bringing out there and expect to win a football game. It's just not going to happen for us. We got to make changes. And they did it. And the players committed to it and they played their butts off and they played really, really well. We've talked about Tree against Tennessee. He had some learning moments. 
didn't have nearly as many learning moments. I believe if I'm correct, we gave up two sacks the entire game. One was a little bit of a bad timing situation because it was third and goal and it took, you know, put us in a bad spot. But other than that, really impressive. Here's the thing, Thomas on the run game. Not only did Mario Anderson, and I don't know if you saw this in the Gamecock walk, he wore a Super Mario hat. And how we don't play Super Mario <laughs> music every time he touches the ball. The <laughs> touch- <laughs> like I, how that doesn't happen, I just don't know. But um, had a heck of a game. 20 carries, 98 yards. As a team, we rushed for 150. That's that's a great outing. Here's the thing you got to love. And this is this is you talked about stats. Zero. None, zero negative run plays. You had been some, a long time. Been a long time. When you got stuffed and you got nothing, you got you know basically got back to the line of scrimmage. But we didn't have a play where there was a bust or a run through, and he takes the ball and he gets crushed for a four yard loss. We did not see that against Florida. That is a you know, that's amazing improvement, and it all starts with being gutsy enough to have a new offensive line go out there. It's tough to do that. You can't just piecemeal an offensive line. I go back to the very first episode of this show ever four years ago. Jeff Barnes and I talked about people would always say, well, if if the right tackle got hurt, just move the right the left tackle over there and put somebody else at left tackle. No, no. That's like asking me to go, and I, I don't swing the golf club well anyway, but asking me to go, okay, you've swung the golf club right-handed your whole life. Now I want you to swing left-handed. Because it's that's the same thing. Like it's just not that simple. So I respect that. We did have a couple false starts, but you got five guys in five different positions. You can't fault them too too much. Thomas Spencer Radler. I, my dad said he saw something that said Mel Kiper didn't even have him in his top ten yet. I don't understand how. Like that's crazy. Spencer Radler is playing as good as any quarterback in the country in college football right now. You top can, five, maybe top three for sure. He is doing a heck of a fo- of a job. Is he Caleb Williams going to run around out there and have a little Patrick Mahomes in him? He's not yeah. that guy, but he is the some throws he made to especially to Leggett. Again, you mentioned Leggett. Tennessee kind of had the book out on how to bracket him. Didn't Florida didn't seem to know it because they changed things up. They moved him around. You saw him in different spots. You can't do the same thing over and over again. You know, like this isn't the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. This isn't the Nebraska Cornhuskers of the 80s and 90s. And just say, hey, we're better than you. You know what we're going to do. We know what we're going to do. We're still going to beat you. That's not the world we live in anymore. And that's not the level of talent we have right now at South Carolina. I don't know if any team in the country has that kind of talent anymore. Just because the disparity disparity isn't as big. Wide receivers and tight ends were finding space, getting open, and catching the football. We did not see a whole lot of drops. There was just really crisp and clean on offense. And you just, it has to be said, it has to be said, the offense played more than well enough to win this football game. Putting up 37 points, two sacks the whole game, no negative runs. There was one late interception that was obvious Spencer was pressing. It was a good to very good offensive performance and it should have won you the ball game particularly at home and that's what's so frustrating all right now to the next big task traveling to columbia missouri missouri is playing really 
good football right now. Have I told you? Have I told you yet how much I despise, like deep in my soul, I loathe Eli Drinkowitz. Loathe him. I I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. And it's just I can't put my finger on it. I think it's because he doesn't look like a football coach. That's not nice to say. Yeah, he's that's, like a little piss you know, ant. Yeah, he just doesn't really he doesn't give me a football vibe. But that's hey man, lots of guys don't give football vibes and they're good football coaches that can happen. Um, but like he just gets under my skin too. And I think why I don't like Missouri in general, they're the new kid on the block in the sec and they're having just entirely too much success. It's more of a jealousy thing. We've been in the league since what 92 and they're having more success than we have. And it's just irks me to no end quarterback. Brady cook is playing great football. Um, it, that run game that you mentioned, their two best wide receivers, Thomas, this is a monumental task for South Carolina right now. You're reeling off a gut-wrenching loss at home. You're staring down the barrel of some tough road games at Missouri, at Texas A&M. Oh, boy. It, it, it's tough sledding. Welcome to the SEC. So, Here's the thing I was thinking about. Okay, what has to happen? What has to change? What has to, you know, when we beat Tennessee last season, let's be honest, that was the game. The Kentucky game was very good for Spencer. Spencer kind of had his coming out party as a Gamecock against Tennessee last season. And it took that monumental performance for him from him to pull off that upset. So who, who can we look to? for a breakout performance on offense. And one name is coming to mind because he finally made a big catch against Florida. Is Nick Harbor, is the light going to come on? I've mentioned multiple times. It took Alshon Jeffrey five, six, seven games as a freshman to really hit his stride. And then when he did, he was unstoppable for the rest of his career. Was that 45-yard gain on a go, an out-jumped ball, going to be enough to give him the confidence he needs. You know, he has spoken about the the work he's been putting in. Loggins and Beamer have said the same. They said this isn't just run and go catch it. It's a lot more than that. So I'm happy to see him get that big catch in a, in a high-quality opponent and in a big part of the game, quite honestly. It wasn't garbage time or anything like that. It was a big moment in that football game. Can he translate that into a breakout game? because he is a physical mismatch for any team in the country. Can he translate that into being enough of a threat that it now loosens up the coverage for South Carolina that Missouri's putting on South Carolina? And Leggett had a big game against Florida. Do you now have that two-headed monster in the the past game that we wanted, that we were hoping to get with Juice Wells and Xavier Leggett? Could it be Xavier Leggett and Nick Harbour? You know, all other guys, Trey Knox has come on. Joshua, is it Simon? Is that his last name? I think that's his last name. Right? Yeah, Simon, Simon, yeah. Simon had a big catch, big run for a touchdown. Mario Anderson, the offensive line. There are things you can do to mask. When you know there's a, a offensive lineman, one offensive lineman out of five that's having a tough time, you can mask that. You can bring a, a chip with a tight end or a running back. You can, you can, you know, um, spread the line or move the pocket away from him. You can do things to help one guy. The problem we had been having was there we were leaking everywhere. Like we were in, we were leaking on the left and the right. So if the the other four are solid and listen, 
Tyshawn Wanamaker has played good football as a as a gamecock on that offensive line at times. He has struggled on the outside. I still think he's more of an inside player, but that's you know a dead horse I'm not going to continue to beat. But he has. So can he do enough? And the other four do enough. And Coach Loggins, as a play caller and a, a schematic, you know, plan for this week, do enough to to kind of mask that that weakness on pass rush because Tyshawn Watermaker and Sidney Fugger are both good run blockers. Can can they you know catch that? Here's the other thing, Thomas, and we kind of missed it a second ago. Florida, we talked about this today in a text message. Or it was. One minute, 46 seconds in the fourth quarter. Florida was at our 40-yard forty yard line. They go to throw to their boy, number three. It bounces off his chest <laughs> into a running, in-stride Florida receiver for a big game. That could have ended the game right there. If that ball jumps into a, a, a South Carolina DB's hands and he takes it for six, game over. And we're talking about, man, you know, defense struggled, but they came up with a, t- a turnover late in the game to help us, you know, but that didn't happen. And so, you know, do you get – if it, so far this season, we talked about it at Tennessee, we talked about it some other times, the ball hasn't bounced our way very often. And, you know, the old saying is it all balances itself out throughout the, the, the season. It's time for it to start balancing to this positive side for the Gamecocks. We need a, a a random fumble to pop in our arms, a miss through a miscommunication for an easy interception. We need those things to happen right now. And Thomas, quite honestly, if they don't, I I don't see this being a very fun football game to watch for Gamecock fans. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I I think you're right. And and you talked about Nick Harbor, and I would love to see a big breakout game for him. But but against against Missouri, against this this Missouri team, I think. Yeah, it's kind of one of those games where your best defense is uh, long, sustained offensive drives. And so I want to see a big game out of Mario Anderson. I would love to see 150 carries. I mean, excuse me. Yes, give him 150 carries. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to kill the guy. Um, Yeah, it's not Marcus Lattimore. I mean, that dude used to have like 50, 60 carries, right? He he did have 30 and 40 in many games, many games. (laughs) But. But the the thing is, is I think Missouri's going to run a lot of zone coverage against us, and I right. think South Carolina in the passing game needs to take what that defense gives them as far as mm-hmm. passing goes. I, I saw a stat earlier today, which I was not aware of, kind of interesting uh, for a stat nerd like myself, but South Carolina's passing game versus man coverage averages just over 12 yards per attempt versus zone coverage, South Carolina's passing game averages – 9.7 yards mm. per attempt. So a more successful passing game against man coverage, which is not entirely surprising when pretty much everything is going to Xavier Leggett, which is also right. a matchup nightmare. But uh, offensively, Missouri, we mentioned it earlier, Luther Burden, I believe, uh, is a beast, second SEC in receiving yards behind um, the guy from LSU, blanking on it. Cody Schrader also, they're yeah. running back. That dude is ripping up shop. He's like mm-hmm. uh, the SEC's little Will Shipley, little uh, yeah, came out yeah. of nowhere. Second in the SEC in rushing yards. It's uh, yeah, I, I think for South Carolina to win this game, they're going to have to get into a boat race and they're just going to have to score. And it's going to be the last team that has the, the, the team that has the ball last is going to win this game. I agree with you. And oftentimes in games like that, turnovers are key. 
And I Absolutely. just I just mentioned the ball hadn't bounced South Carolina's way. They need it to this week. Because you're right. This is gonna have to be a high scoring affair for South Carolina to win. You gotta score touchdowns. You gotta score touchdowns. You know, and we gotta get off the field on defense. I think if I looked at it correctly, we made Florida punt two times. They either yep. got a field goal or a, a touchdown every other time. You cannot have that. Like you no. just it can't happen. So you gotta figure it out, you know. Who who knows? I, I I'm not gonna ask you to predict this game because I'm not predicting it either. All I'm gonna say is I agree with you. It needs to be a high scoring affair for the Gamecocks to get a win, and we need the turnovers to break our way. We need the turnovers to break our way, and that's gonna be. Can it happen? Certainly, certainly. If you went back and listened to our podcast on the Wednesday or Thursday before the Tennessee game last year, I bet we were saying some similar things. I yeah. bet we're saying, like, I don't see it happening, and it did, and then it turned around. So can it? Sure. Will it? I don't know how likely. All right, Thomas, it's making my head hurt, or maybe I'm just <clears throat> to talk about the Gamecocks this much right now, just coming out of that tough, tough, tough loss. Let's look at the, around college football. What's on the docket that it gets you excited? All right, just like every other week, I've got uh, I've got your slate laid out for you, your 12 o'clock, 3.30, and then your 7.30 game. 12 o'clock, kicking it off early in the day. Get your beer ready, your drinks. We've got a Big Ten showdown. Number seven, Penn State at number three, Ohio State. Ohio State is favored by four and a half in this game. And we, I, I remember – Whenever I was looking at the slate of games, we've talked about this in in a previous season, maybe last season. It still blows my mind that that Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan are all in the same division in the Big Ten. Speaking of Michigan, little breaking news. I don't know if you happen to see this on social media. Oh, uh, Michigan is currently under NCAA investigation for sending scouts to opponents' games to steal their signs, to steal okay. their play signs. Okay, okay, let's talk about that. I'm I'm glad you gave me some context because I did see a tweet earlier today that just said Michigan was under investigation mm-hmm. for, for uh, signal stealing. Here, here's my thought on this, and I think we may have delved into or at least brushed on this before, but if you're stealing signs, then or somebody stealing your signs, that is a you problem. You need <laughs> to change your signs. You need to disguise. Now, if you're going to other games – that may be stretching it a little bit. You right. may be getting a little bit towards the line of of, of Belichicking, if, if if as it were. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they're not doing anything that 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 anybody in the public can see. So again, I still lean a little bit towards that's a you problem. I do and I don't. I agree with you. In game, if I'm on the sideline, I think Eric Kimry told a story one time of that he knew Clemson's signals when he when he was a backup at South Carolina and was able to kind of give some off give the offense or defense some insight. Um, during a game, sure, if you can pick it up, that, I don't have a problem with it. That's why you have three guys, four guys holding up a towel, yeah, doing a all sheet. that, yeah. all that crap. I will say that. Sending guys to other games, which was apparently unmarked, like an unmarked situation. They were not in like it was they were trying to hide it, you know, like to go watch an opponent play. I have eh, that's a little iffy for me. That does feel a little uh, spy gate ish. But, um, you know, uh, I, it's a gray area. It's a gray area, uh, uh, in my opinion. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I. Uh, 
football coaches will tell you all the time, we can we can lean across the line and say, hey, man, we're running toss right. Come stop it. Yeah. And if you can block it, then it doesn't matter. Or if you can tackle it, it doesn't matter. So it is what it is. But they are under investigation. 330 game, Thomas. 330, 330. And this is this could be uh, the wackiest game of the week because I have no idea what the hell is going to happen in this game. Number 17, Tennessee at Number 11, Alabama. Alabama's favored by nine points in this game. This is uh, uh, a great SEC showdown. Um, I I think Bama's going to edge this one out. Uh, But this is another one of those games that is kind of like, well, uh, the home team's going to win this one. I don't really know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah, if this game was in Neyland, um, I I might be more inclined to think Tennessee can come out on top. Bama's offense has, has, you know, sputtered at times, but their defense is still Bama's defense. For the most part, they've had their their tough sleddings at time. Uh, Alabama at home, uh, I see them getting this win. I don't think it's by nine. I don't think they cover, but uh, yeah. it, I, I think it. I think they squeak it out. All right, seven thirty. Seven thirty, wrapping it up with a uh, an ACC showdown. We don't often get to see a good ACC showdown. Number sixteen, Duke at number four, Florida State, who is favored by fourteen and a half points here. And Duke, we have talked about uh, my love for Mike Elko and what he's doing up at Duke. Uh, big fan of those things uh, and what he's doing, but. Duke could really spoil a lot of things for Florida State in this game. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing this turns on, and I think the line is where it is because of this, can Riley uh, Leonard play at quarterback for Duke? You know, he did not play last week. They got the win. Oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. he's got the high ankle sprain from from earlier. Damn it. Um, against, I guess that was Notre Dame. Um, and yep. uh, so that, you know, Mike Elko has said it's possible um, that he could get out there. Now, is that coaches speak to keep you – to keep you interested, maybe, yeah. um, you know, to make you think about it. But here's the thing. I think he has a high ankle sprain, and I was listening to the Greenlight podcast with Chris Long uh, this week, and he talked about the difference between a high ankle and a low ankle sprain, and high ankle's, like, awful. Like, you just can't move. So it'll be interesting. I'd love to pick Duke here. Um, Andrew Fisher and I, uh, like I said, were together last weekend. He went to Duke for grad school and uh, loves some Blue Devil football, and so I'd love to see him win, but tough sledding to go into Tallahassee and get that win. But they've proven us wrong before. So, you know, uh, this might be a good matchup. I think the line, like I said, is is as high as it is because of the injury to the Duke quarterback. I think that kind of skews things. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Follow us on social media at SAA Football Fan on Twitter or X and Instagram, and also look for us on Facebook at the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast page. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want to tell them. I want to send a message to our friend Eli Drinkowitz. I hope Eli has a terrible week this week. I hope he has diarrhea two out of seven days this week, and I hope he's still peeing out of his butt on Saturday because I don't like you, and we better beat the hell out of Missouri. See ya!